Hi, I'm Michael. I'm a trader by day, improv artist by night, mental health survivor, pawn shop owner, terrible, terrible stand-up comedian, and I'm a TV host and your host right now for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It is a Dweebs global production where you can go for free resume helping, writing help, mental health assistance. It is a nonprofit providing free mentorship. People around the world, every language, completely free, dweebsglobal.org. So I'm here today with Caitlin Abrams. Caitlin spent the last 14 years in a career in training and change management consulting. Caitlin also works in the cybersecurity industry, but her second scene is something I did not even really know existed. Although, once you think about it, somebody has to do it. Caitlin cleans gravestones and somehow she accidentally became a TikTok star with over 2 million followers. She is constantly posting new videos of gravestones she is cleaning while giving a well thought out and researched history on the person, which I found to be like a beautiful tribute to the people that lie beneath. So I think it's, I, I went into this ready to interview you being like, what is that craziness that she does? But then I watched him and it's, it's really like touching. It's like a touching tribute you do. It's, it's nice. It's really nice. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did, did you always have a fascination with like cemeteries? Yeah, so I grew up in New England in rural Maine, and if you grow up in uh, New England, there's a cemetery everywhere. Every town's got multiple cemeteries. Some of them uh, in some states date back to uh, the 1600s, 1700s. Um, so they were always there. It was sort of an omnipresent thing as I was growing up, and um, I found myself drawn to them. There was one um, pretty close to my house and by pretty close in rural New England, I mean, it would be like a 10 minute drive, <laughs> but uh, it was near friends' houses and that kind of thing. And, and we'd spend time kind of looking at them and reading them and kind of processing what they meant. Um, because to see the stone, you, you see it and you're like, yeah, it's a cemetery. And, and a lot of us kind of just gloss over it. You just drive by or you whatever. Um, but when you sit there and you actually read it and you kind of take in what it means, um, then it kind of opens up this, this understanding in your mind that you didn't necessarily have. Uh, it kind of deepens your understanding, deepens your connection to that sort of broader human history and experience. So I remember there was a one grave in the cemetery that was for like a three month old baby. And which is, you know, there are, those are everywhere uh, in these old graves, um, graveyards. And I remember it kind of like, you know, something kind of clicking into place, <laughs> realizing that like that could happen and that that did happen and that that does happen. Um, and I remember being really focused in particular on that grave, even just as a kid. Um, and then uh, when I was uh, nine years old, I lost my best friend to um, leukemia. Oh. And I myself had had cancer when I was four or five years old. Um, and so there was a lot of uh, gaps in my understanding of death because uh, I was nine and my family wasn't religious. So um, I think I kind of saw them then as sort of a, a, a way for me to kind of connect uh, with death and understand death um, because I didn't have any easy answers in front of me. So as I got older, I found that I was even more drawn to them. I wanted to go, you know, just walk around and look at them and kind of sit in that space um, of death and understanding of it if that makes sense yeah when you think of like the death and somebody surrounded by cemeteries you kind of think of like depressed but you do not seem yeah. like a depressed person to me I don't know, we all have our we all have our other you know uh, yeah no i appreciate you saying that. 
I definitely have some depression, some anxiety, some OCD, which probably lends itself to this, right? Because then it's, I, I find that a lot of people with OCD, you kind of immerse yourself in your intrusive thoughts a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you kind of are, I'm there and I'm like feeling, not directly feeling the sadness or directly feeling like what these people felt, but kind of hovering above it a little bit and kind of looking down on it and understanding it. So there is an element of that there, but I will say that being in cemeteries, like does, it does energize me. It does like make me happy. Like if I am depressed, I like, don't, I don't want to go to the cemetery because it's one of those things you're avoiding the things you like when you're depressed, you know, it's like, well, no, I won't do that. Got you. I have, I have OCD of the mind as well. I think that's what you were, you were saying. It's a lot of, a lot of rumination, a lot of just going over and over things in your mind and yes, um, and picturing awful things and, you know, not knowing what to do with it. I was just in the car um, dropping off my kids and I had one of those things where I pictured something like awful happening. And, you know, yep. I don't know if you do this with OCD, but you kind of like do that little tick where you're like, nope, nope. Like you're trying to like get it out of your head. Cause you're like, I can't, I can't think about that right now. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Lot. Oh yeah. <laughs> Labeling. I've learned to label and then mm-hmm. put it in my trash can or in a mailbox I'll open later I don't know I have a whole my therapist has really been working on me <laughs> um so you've always been into great what what got you cleaning the first gravestone that you ever cleaned um so I'm a volunteer for the website find a grave um and if you don't know what find a grave is um I always call it social media for cemeteries um it's all volunteer driven so uh, people go into their local cemeteries, take pictures of the graves, upload photos, and can upload any information on the stones. Um, and anyone can do it. So if you knew, if you were looking at your family history and you found a death notice that said, you know, your great, great, great grandfather was buried in X cemetery, you could go to find a grave and see if someone's uploaded a picture of his grave or any of his information. And if they haven't, you can do it. You can say, hey, I know he's there. This is what his death record says. He's in this cemetery. And then you can send a request to volunteers in your in that area to come take a picture of the grave for you. So um, I did that with I had some ancestors <clears throat> that were buried in New Jersey, and my dad didn't know where. No one knew where. Um, I finally narrowed it down, but no one had taken a picture. So I sent a request. Someone went out there and, and got a picture of it for me. So <clears throat> someone <clears throat> I received a request um, for someone that lived out in Iowa. She had a, um, an ancestor that lived in Vermont and that was buried there. And she's like, I, I, I need to find the stone. And so I went out and found it. And it was really, it was just covered in lichen. Like you couldn't really read it. I actually had to trace the letters to see like, is this the right person? And it was. And so this woman asked me like, would you clean it? And this was January. And I'd kind of known about grave cleaning sort of um, tangentially. I knew it existed. Um, but I, I kind of was like, I don't know that I can do that. And she asked if I would. So I was like, all right, it's January. I knew I couldn't clean in the winter for the cold temperatures. So I essentially just spent five months researching. Um, and I contacted the Vermont old cemetery association who does this kind of thing. I got involved with them. I'm now, I now write for their newsletter and I'm their rep for my County. Um, and then, um, you found your calling. I know, I know. Um, and I also just, you know, dug into like online research and figured out like methods. I gathered all my tools. And then in May of 2020, I went out and actually cleaned the grave. Um, and, 
um, I had cleaned another one as well. I started getting permission in different cemeteries, but obviously uh, May, 2020, there was something going on that uh, we're not dealing with anymore, a worldwide thing. We're not dealing with it, it's fine. Um, but my kids were home and it just wasn't, I couldn't really do it um, easily. So um, I kind of plotted what I was gonna do when things got a little calmer and then winter came. Um, so in early spring, 2021, I decided to kind of hit the ground running and try it again. And I, you know, reached back out to the cemeteries. I got permission and I just, I just started doing it again. And then I, I was like, I can't stop doing this now. <laughs> so. What, what goes into cleaning a gravestone? What do you, how do you, how do you so do that without you, damaging it? Um, so that's a really good question. So the first thing, you know, uh, we say is, you know, you need to get permission because the laws around it really vary by state and certainly I'm, I'm sure by country too. Um, so I get permission to clean old stones and I work with the cemetery to, um, kind of outline my method. So they know that I'm doing it in a way that's not going to harm the stone. Um, the gold standard for use is a solution called, um, D2 biological solution. It's invented for this, um, purpose cleaning stone. Um, and it's very gentle on the stones. It doesn't, um, it's not abrasive. There's no bleaches and there's no acids. It's technically non-toxic to consume. You should not consume it, but it is non-toxic. <laughs> um, so it's very, it's basically just very mild because if you apply like a bleach or an acid, it will eat away at the, um, the layers of especially marble, right. which most of the stones around here are marble. Um, and you can actually see that damage today. Like when someone power washes it or bleached it, it, it has like actual, like a physical, like marring of the stone. Um, and over time, obviously, it can completely degrade it. Um, so the the D2 is very, like I said, very gentle, soaks into the stone, and it kills the moss and lichen growth and clears the staining over time. Um, so I use the D2, lots and lots of water, and I agitate it on the surface with um, very soft natural or um, artificial brushes, um, like scrub brushes. Um, and uh, plastic scrapers to scrape away some of the big growth. Um, all my tools, the goal is that they will degrade before the stone would ever degrade. Gotcha. Um, Got you. Sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. I, I'd imagine you come across some stones that are just so fragile because they've been there for so long. That... Yeah, and it's actually really interesting. I saw one um, in this one cemetery in Paulette, Vermont, which is uh, about 20 minutes from here. And um, it actually had been, it was in pieces and clearly this was a very old repair job, but it, it was clearly a custom made iron like hook thing that was holding these three pieces together completely in opposition to physics, it looked like. Um, but there's a lot of those where, you know, people were trying to repair or that have long gone. Um, marble in particular um, tends to delaminate because it has, it almost is in like sheets. So eventually the sheets will kind of like start to come off. Um, so when I come across the really, really, you know, rough ones, you can just spray the D2 and not scrub and it will do a lot of the work. Um, so if it's, if it's something that I don't want to mess with, I don't want to cause any more, any more damage. I'll just spray the D2 and walk away. And, um, I can see a really big improvement even with just doing that. Got you. Are you mainly cleaning stones of people request you to clean or you're just finding older stones to... So the, the cemeteries, when I get permission, usually give me um, more or less carte blanche to pick which stones I want to do as long as they are older stones. Once you get into more recent stones, 
you need to get family permission. Um, and my sort of rule of thumb is that I don't clean the stone of anyone who could be feasibly remembered by someone who is currently alive. Because, <laughs> um, you know, you run into a lot of issues with that, right? Like you can search someone's life, but you don't know about some, you know, some of the more maybe awful aspects of their personality, or maybe they didn't want their stone cleaned or whatever. Right. Um, so I kind of stick to late 1700s is like the earliest you'll see in Vermont, and then mostly 1800s and some early 1900s. Okay, so these cemeteries must be like a, yeah, free cleanup, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Basically, one in. of them, yeah, they both, they all are like, yeah, you know, because cemeteries don't, make a lot of money, um, especially if they're not like a historic cemetery. Um, so there's one in uh, Massachusetts, is it, it might be Mount Auburn or something, and they've got some crazy endowment. They've got a ton of money because there's a lot of rich, you know, mostly white men buried there. Um, but these smaller ones, they don't make a lot of money. And I think people are surprised by that because funerals are so expensive, um, but very little of it goes to the cemetery. So this one cemetery I clean in, they get like you know, it's something like six or 700 bucks for a person getting buried there. And that's it. And then all the boards, the board of directors, the woman that I talked to, she's like a volunteer. She's just retired. Like, and you know, she's there all the time, like managing, where's this person going to be buried? Someone says, is there any room in the plot? She has to go back and look at the records and see who's buried where so they can put her, well, put someone there. Well, it's a horrible business plan because you don't have like repeat customers. It's not a, <laughs> not a service. Business. <laughs> you don't have a lot of like, yeah, revolving door. No. Um, but I mean, and a lot of the stones, you can just like walk out and see are degrading, but it's like, it costs money and it takes time to, to get them all righted and, and all that. So if someone, you know, can do it as a volunteer activity and the cemetery is, um, is amicable to that, then, you know, they get a lot out of it. Right. So, so you'll, so you'll find a gravestone and then look the person up before you clean it, or do you clean it and then go do your research and then it depends uh, on the cemetery. And it also depends on where I am. I don't have cell reception in a lot of places here in Vermont. So um, sometimes I can't look them up beforehand. It's just, I'll clean it and then I'll do it when I get home. Um, for the sem one cemetery that I clean in a lot, their cemetery records are actually online. Someone put them online. So I might go look up like cause of death um, to see if I can, you know, kind of piece together this story before I actually clean it. Um, so it kind of, it really just depends. And also like in Vermont, uh, a lot of the records, vital records are online. Um, so I can search that too, if I've got the cell reception. Um, and, um, it really, yeah, I guess it just varies if I can access the information beforehand, I will try, but when I'm, I, I sort of start to tease it out and pull out more information once I'm sitting at home and can kind of start to map it out. Got you. I don't know if it was the ones that I watched, but the handful that I was, I was, I was seeing the past couple of days, I was surprised with how young the people were, you know, they were 20, 22, 23, and so many that passed away from TV, or I guess you call it consumption. I had never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy. I think it really does bring to light in a way uh, how difficult life was at, at this time. I think we as people, and I think this is something that humans have done forever, that we tend to have nostalgia for these time periods that we didn't actually live through. It's like, oh, the Victorian area, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of pretty art and a lot of like nice things and cool clothes or whatever. But realizing these people were every day <laughs> like battling the world uh, and battling infectious diseases and, and yeah. accidents and, and, you know, all these, 
awful things that now are mostly an inconvenience to us. You know, it's like, oh, it's, you know, I've got, I knew somebody recently whose kid had like hand, foot and mouth and scarlet fever. And she's like, what? Let's get scarlet fever. So you gave it to him from the cemetery. I know, I know. And people do ask that. They're like, can you get sick from it? And I'm like, no, <laughs> they're pretty far down there. <laughs> I don't think any of that lasts. It doesn't look like And there's not much left. <laughs> um, yeah. And they all get, they all married so young died yep. at 21 but already married and had a kid in often and mm -hmm. um, yeah i mean it's you think about like life then um especially for women it's like now you know you're old enough you got to go get married you got to go start doing this but a lot of times people will tell me they expect that people got married a lot younger i think people think like oh they're at 15 16 they were married right but really it is you know 18 19 20 which to us is still very young mm -hmm. you know but um, because just life is very different now, but yeah, it was pretty much like you, you got to live a life. You got to get out there and pro procreate and, you know, get married, do the right. thing you're supposed to do. Well, you married your high school sweetheart, right? I did. I did. Oh. We've been together for almost 20 years. Wow. See, I can't imagine that. I think that would have been the worst decision I ever made. If, if, <laughs> That's what I'm a she's lot a wonderful people. person. Don't get me wrong. If you're watching, you are. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm sure you feel the same way. It's, <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because it's, we got told that a lot and I am typically like, I totally get now that I'm an adult, why people thought that, like why people were like, mm, okay, sure, sure, buddy. <laughs> but we proved him wrong. <laughs> so we're still here. <laughs> Nice. Well, what's one of the most interesting uh, stories that you've come across? Sure. So one, one of my favorites, I have different favorites uh, as I go and they all kind of stay with me the way my memory works. I just like, I have, I wouldn't say a photographic memory, but I can kind of like have this thing that I'm like, I remember this person. I remember this person. So if you, if you tell me the name, I can usually give at least their cause of death and some family and like it sticks in there. Um, one of the ones that I think kind of got me the most interested in, in pursuing um, the actual research behind it was uh, a woman named Mary Saunders, who actually doesn't have a stone, but I saw her in the cemetery records <clears throat> and she had died in, I think it was 1910, 1902, maybe I'm not sure, but she, her cause of death was suicide by poison. And I was like, I did not know what that meant. Um, <clears throat> so I started just digging a little bit. And I found a newspaper article from that time. And she had been a, in the article, uh, she was called a local character um, in quotes and in other quotes that she was a inmate of a house of questionable repute. So I read that to be um, sex work or something similar to that. Um, and she was 22 and was known to have problems with alcohol. And she was, um, had tried to uh, commit suicide when she was, uh, I guess six months before this with opium and that didn't work. She was saved. And this time she took cantharides, which is a uh, Spanish fly. Um, it's like a blistering agent. It's a very, very awful death. <laughs> and she said like, no, I didn't. I, I took them by accident. And they were like, oh, well. And the newspaper article, just the way it, talked about her was very what you'd expect for early 1900s like the the headline was like second attempt successful or something like that just very you know uh dehumanizing i guess right. so it, 
I really connected with it. Cause I was like, this, this girl's 22. Like she was just a baby, you know, like she wasn't, she was very young and, and clearly had lived this difficult life. And so I set out trying to find her stone in the cemetery. And I sort of, you know, old timey style was like triangulating the plots and I found the plot, but she doesn't have a stone. Um, but what's interesting is that like this cemetery that she's buried in now, it's like an hour away from the town she lived in now when you can drive 55 the whole way. And so I I was like, well, that's interesting. A B at this cemetery, you can't just buy an individual space. You have to buy a plot or someone has to give you a part of their plot. And if they don't, you get buried in the poor grounds or in the stranger's grounds. And um, at least back then. So somebody gave her a place in their plot, but the name on it, I looked up the name. It's not anyone who's related to her. I can't find any connection to her. Like it's, it's this mystery that (laughs) I don't know why it's just like, it really sparked my interest. I was like, well, I want to know more about this person and this crazy story. Cause it's a really heart wrenching story that I don't think we always connect with the past. I think we tend to tell ourselves, you know, going back to mental health, that mental health and people being depressed and people dealing with problems is like a new thing. Like we're all weak because we want to go to therapy or something like that. When these people all could have massively benefited from good therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I I think that's a lot of what the past though, is we, we read about it, we learn about it, but there's such a huge disconnect or connection with it, which you're, you're really bringing it uh, more to a more relatable place. It's wild. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. And I, I talked to a graduate student once who was telling me that history in general, history as a discipline is, is working on navigating away from sort of the top down view of history, where it's mostly rich white men saying what happened and now learning more about bottom up, like these people that were kind of just your average daily people or maybe marginalized people like women or people of color. um, And, and kind of hearing those stories and kind of the actual reality of the nice picture we get in school well that's what most of us would have been we, we, yeah. we wouldn't have been the the elite telling <laughs> the rich the white guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly just like now and i think too connecting i think i get a lot of like kids i have a fair amount of kids and teens that comment which is nice because i think i'm cooler among the youths now than i ever was when i was a youth <laughs> but um that will say like this is so much more interesting than history class and i was like because you're actually getting the real like life, if you can find some weird story where like they, you know, they were in some crazy accident or there was one story I did recently of a, an engineer on a train who in his time as an engineer uh, hit three kids on the, tra- on the train tracks. None of them died or were hurt partially because of him, like literally reaching out and grabbing and throwing these kids like oh, off wow. the tracks or they got caught like just underneath or whatever and didn't get hit. But like stuff like that, like what, (laughs) you know, just weird little things you read now. I mean, that would be on like, you know, viralnews.com or whatever, like Uh, train engineer hits three kids. (laughs) (laughs) But the way you tell the stories is very enveloping. It it really keeps you wanting to listen and stuff. So it's, it's an interesting way to do it. It's, it's neat. There's so many different worlds out on TikTok and YouTube that wouldn't discover. And that's definitely one that's really neat and really cool that I never would have even thought to look for. It wouldn't have come up my feed. Like it's not even something random that would have come up because it's so far from 
what my feed would have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hashtag grave talk is what. <laughs> <we're> <laughs> section. And it's interesting. You see like the different types of people, like there's, a, um, there's quite a few men that I talk to that do it. And like, I find that the men tend to focus on like veteran stones. A lot of the men are veterans in general, so that they're sharing more of like a, a veteran kind of side of it. And I think that um, me and like some of the other um, people that, that don't really have that kind of content, we sort of focus on, at least I do, I think I focus more on women and children and like young adults and kind of spinning that story, like actually engaging sort of in an emotional way um, versus like the, you know, the very noble thing of cleaning a, a veteran's gravestone and talking about that person's service and that kind of thing. It's interesting branches of the grave right. talk. Right. What's the, what's the oldest stone that you've ever cleaned? I cleaned a stone for a woman who died in 1788. Um, actually, no, I think that was a, he was, that was a guy. Um, and the, with the caveat that I don't know when the stone was placed. So back in 1788 into the early 1800s, these were all done by hand. And sometimes from what I've read, it could take anywhere from like a year or two, depending on if you had a lot of people die that year, you know, you had the time. Um, so it could be that the stone is, you know, four or five years after or a couple of years after, but that's usually what I say is the death was from 1788. Okay. Um, I, I watched the vice episode you were on, which by the way, vice is one of my favorite, <laughs> that was favorite, so much favorite news shows, but it was, was that neat to, to have? Yeah, that I really liked doing that. I, uh -huh. it was hard to watch my, watch myself. Um, <laughs> And you know the pandemic weight I've gained too. <laughs> like it's like, oh, there we go. It's a pandemic, but um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, and it was—it's crazy how long we did it. Like how hard we worked that whole day for something that ended up being like ten minutes. Like it's, it was—I mean, we were out in the cemetery for hours, and we, you know, were outside for hours, and we doing the walks over and over again. And you know, I'm not used to being on TV. Kind of the same. I'm not used to being on a podcast. So, you know, I would do something incredibly awkward and he'd be like, let's try that again. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. I know that didn't work. Um, but it was fun. It was like scary because I, I thought I was going to do something wrong, but it came out really well. They made me look smart. So that's all I. I mean, Vice about. puts together great programs that they're always short and sweet too. They keep, they, they yeah. keep it to the point. Well, what are, just to sum it up, are there any other uh, questions that people often ask you that maybe I haven't asked you today that. Um, I guess some people ask like, uh, on my TikTok, they'll ask um, about like, oh, what if someone doesn't want their grave cleaned? Or like, how do you know this person wants it? And I've had a lot of really good conversations about that actually uh, with people where I say, you know, the these cemeteries are predominantly um, perpetual care. And back in the day, when you bought a plot, you had to pay a yearly sum to help keep up the um, the grounds, you know, the, the grass and the trees and bushes, all that stuff. Um, and, you know, I operate under the expectation that somebody who had a very expensive marble stone placed would want that kept clean to the extent that was possible. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the other thing that I think is really interesting is that, you know, the patina that we see on graves, that kind of gray look on marble, we think like, oh, it's because it's so old or whatever. A lot of that gray is caused by acid rain, which the people that were putting these stones wouldn't have foreseen because it was caused by their actions and sort of, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, it, it was a knock-on effect where it just kept polluting and still do. And um, so they wouldn't have seen them like 
gray. They would have been like, yeah, they're going to get covered in moss and lichen, but they stay white more or less. Um, but it's an interesting discussion to be had of what, of permanence and all this. Cause I think now we kind of think, well, let, let's return it to the earth. Like let's all that. But for a lot of these people, you have to remember they didn't have cameras, most of them, especially in rural areas. They had very little concrete things to kind of draw them back into these memories. Mm -hmm. And so I can kind of see this as like a place that people would have wanted to come and like be there and be with this physical representation of this life that was led. And I really hope that the work that I'm doing helps bring that out a little bit more, like just a little moment in time where we're thinking about this one person. And I, I kind of get, I get comments sometimes from parents of, of children who have died, who, who say like, this means a lot. It, it would mean a lot if in a hundred some odd years, somebody's saying my kid's name or talking about the grief that I underwent when I, uh, when I lost my kid or something like that, which certainly isn't giving myself any importance that isn't there, you know, or, or giving myself, like, I bring those stories. Cause you know, all I do is just put words to them. But, um, I think that it, I think we all need to like connect with death in that way and kind of become more, um, I guess, comfortable with it as something that we live with, if that makes sense. It that does. was a big rant. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it does. And I mean, you really, what you are doing, I think is a beautiful thing. So thank you for doing it. It's, it's really okay. neat. So you have, you have a fan over here. So. Oh, well, thank you. I, you know, anytime you want to come to Vermont and clean grapes, let me know. <laughs> I will let you know. <laughs> uh, where can people find you? So I'm on TikTok with uh, Manic Pixie Mom. I know that username doesn't make a ton of sense, but I picked it and now I have too many followers. I can't change it. So uh, I'm also on Instagram uh, with the name again, because I'm hilarious, uh, stoned in New England. Okay. Um, and <laughs> my managers were like, we need to work on getting like a cohesive brand. I'm like, ah, well, <laughs> um, but those are the main places that I am on Instagram. I, I usually, it's obviously more of a picture photograph, uh, medium, but I try to share across the two. Um, okay. and I think that's pretty much it <laughs> for my okay. social well, media presence. Well, we will put the links underneath the videos and the podcasts. So please everyone visit it, subscribe. Also, please subscribe to this podcast, hit like yeah. subscribe, whatever it is, whatever the button is, please hit it. Hit it. <laughs> so thank you again so much for being here with me today. This has been super interesting and fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed our conversation. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, this has been a Dweebs Global production. That's why we do this podcast. They give free mentorship help around the world, anything from resume writing to mental health and whatever's in between. Dweebsglobal.org, it's a nonprofit and it is completely free. So we'll see y'all here next week.